Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Viktor Frankl was an Austrian psychiatrist and a survivor of the Holocaust. In 1942, he was captured, and over the next three and a half years, he was shuffled around to four different concentration camps before he was liberated in 1945. By the time he was set free, he had experienced more than his fair share of suffering and death, including the lives of his brother, wife, and mother. While he was in in the concentration camps, Victor didn't cease being a psychiatrist, though. And he found himself making observations in the cruelest laboratory that had ever been devised by humanity. He captured his observations in his best-selling book, Man's Search for Meaning, which I'll tell you right now is a really good book, but not an easy one. One of the questions that Victor wrestles with is this. What gave people the best chance of survival in a situation like a concentration camp? Now, clearly, there were all kinds of things that were just out of people's control. There was no guarantee of success of survival, but what gave someone the best chances, the best odds to survive? What he found was that there was one factor that it boiled down to, finding meaning. The people who were able to find some sense of purpose, some sense of meaning in the atrocities that they were experiencing, they were able to stay in the fight, to hang in the difficulty, and each time they got knocked down, get back up again and keep trying to push forward. The people who were unable to do that were quickly overwhelmed, surrendered, and lost their lives. Victor himself would actually envision giving psychiatry lectures on what he learned in the concentration camp. And so every time he experienced something, it meant something to him. There's a reason that the suffering matters. Having a greater purpose, having a meaning, a significance to our lives is a fundamental human need. It's actually a matter of life and death. Now, obviously so in a situation like a concentration camp, but even in our lives, which don't look anything like that, a lack of purpose, a lack of meaning can easily result in anxiety, in depression, and all kinds of inner dis-ease. Sound familiar? (laughs) What I want to wrestle with today is this question. How does that fundamental need intersect our journey of faith. Because we, in the, in the Christian faith, we believe that we have like the truth that's like the most fundamental truth there is. Like, this is the real reality of how things are and, and, and the way the world works. Uh, clearly, that has to influence 
our need for purpose, our need for meaning. Now, I know that most of us would immediately kind of fire up the right answer. Well, of course my faith gives my life purpose. Of course it gives me meaning. But I want to challenge you a little bit on that. I'm going to say this. Well, if someone was going to follow you around and document everything you did, would they come to that conclusion? Or would they find that you're actually more excited about perhaps your hobbies or sports teams than you are your journey of faith? Now, don't get me wrong, go Cubbies. I'm not trying to throw sports in the trash here. But I want to ask this, could our faith be that for us, the core of meaning in our life? And what would it look like if that was true? I'm sure it would vary some for each of us, but I have a sense that it would look like someone who would literally try to find extra time to engage in the word, to worship, to pray. Someone who would make radical choices like, oh, I have this brilliant idea. I can start a side business so I can give more money to God. People making choices like, I'm not going to take that promotion because it's going to sacrifice the time for what I believe really matters. Could our faith be like that in our life? Well, that's what we're going to explore today and continuing through this series called Kingdom Impact, which is based on this new and destined to be best-selling book (laughs) by yours truly. (laughs) Let's pray. Jesus, you are awesome. We just welcome you into this place. God, may your kingdom impact our lives even today. I'm asking, Lord, that none of us leaves the same as we came. Let your kingdom draw near. Let it grip our lives. Lord, we give you this time in this place. Come, come, Holy Spirit. Amen. When we look at Jesus' life, we see a radical lifestyle. If you think about it, Jesus didn't have a home that he lived in, never had a family, we never really have the sense that he had any money, he hung out with mostly societal rejects, and he willingly marches to his own execution. That's pretty radical. What drives Jesus to make these radical choices? Because you don't get the sense that he's doing it out of like obligation. Like he's like, well, you know, fine, the father sent me to do this, okay, I'll do it. Like, there's no sense of should with Jesus. So what's going on there? Well, what's going on is that Jesus is living the way we all live. He's making choices and he's making sacrifices for something that gives him a greater meaning. This is something we all do. I'm going to give you an example. I've been working on uh, finishing out my basement for like ages now. And it's like so close. I'm telling you, it's a matter of days at this point. Okay? You can see some of the process as we go. A couple of photos there. All right? It is so, so, so close. Now, along the way, I have given up hundreds of hours of my time. I have spent thousands of dollars on building materials. And I did it all voluntarily. Nobody told me, you should do this, buddy. I did it. Now, why did I make those sacrifices? Because to me, having a finished basement basement, basement, is more meaningful than the time and the money that I put in. I don't view it as a sacrifice. I'm like, oh, it's the cost for something I want. 
Jesus lived the same way. All of these radical choices were the cost for something that mattered to him more. In Hebrews 12, talking about uh, his, uh, the end of his life, it says that for the joy that set before him, he endures the cross. For the joy set before him, not the obligation, not the assignment, not doing the right thing, he does it out of a sense of joy. We also make joyful sacrifices when it means being connected to something that gives us more meaning. So the immediate question then is like, well, what on earth was it that provided so much meaning in Jesus' life that these sacrifices were well worth it? And the answer is, for Jesus, the core thing was the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was what Jesus' life and ministry was all about. Here's a couple of things. It was, number one, his core message. It's what he preached from day one. It was why he went from town to town to share. Over and over again, he's in the middle of like this massive revival. And the disciples are like, this is great. Your ministry's working, Jesus. And he's like, I got to go to the next town because they haven't heard about the kingdom yet. It's what he told the parables about. The kingdom of God is like dot, 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 dot. A bunch of different things. It was the highest priority that he told us to have. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's the birthright of those of us who are born again. Unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom. So get born again so that you can see the kingdom. It was his motivation to avoid sin. If you don't do these things, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Or if you do these things, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. It was illustrated by his miraculous ministry. Surely, if I drive out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And it was the reason he sent his disciples to go from town and town and village to village. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. For Jesus, the kingdom was the core thing. He was all about God's activity on earth. And the kingdom can be the core thing in our lives too, if the kingdom gets us. See, here's the first thing that we have to, to kind of establish about the kingdom. We've got to make sure we're approaching this from the right starting point. Because the kingdom is not something that you incorporate in your life. The, I'm not here saying you have this meaning hole in your life. If you get the kingdom, it'll fill that meaning hole. That is not what I'm here to tell you. What I'm here to tell you is this. Your life gets incorporated into the kingdom. The kingdom is bigger than you. You don't get to take a slice of it. You belong to it. We don't get the kingdom. The kingdom gets us. The reason Jesus made all of these sacrifices is because he had been apprehended by a kingdom. And when the kingdom got him, he began to live in a different way. When the kingdom gets you, you'll begin to live in a different way. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to challenge you just a little bit. Not everybody in this room has been gotten by the kingdom. Not every Christian in this room has been gotten by the kingdom. Now, I'm not saying that you don't love Jesus. I'm not saying you're not following him, and I'm not saying that you're not going to heaven. All of those things, that's, we're talking about something totally different here. The kingdom is bigger than us, and it's waiting to get us. Now, I know this because this is my story. 
I grew up in an awesome Christian home and family. There, you know, there's me and my brother there, right, you know. I know you guys love, we all love the kid photos, okay, so I'm giving you some kid photos. Uh, I grew up in a great family, and we had an awesome church that was really significant. There's my dad baptizing me. I think it was like seven, eight, something like that. It was a great church. I had a youth group that was a powerful influence in my life. And I always took it seriously and believed it like on my own from very young. I'm the kid that at like 12 was tithing because I wanted to. I'm the kid that at 16 was doing daily devotionals every day. Not out of duty or obligation, but because it was real to me. I never took a walk on the wild side. I never walked away from Jesus. This was my life. I loved Jesus. And it was real, but I hadn't been apprehended by the kingdom. The kingdom is a whole different thing. My journey with that actually started when I moved here to Champaign-Urbana. Now, I moved here in 2004 to attend the University of Illinois to get a graduate degree in physics. I uh, wanted to make sure that I was part of a community of faith, and I had some friends that were coming to this church, so I said, yeah, sure, I'll go with you. We'll go to that Vineyard Church. Now, I could, for me, I just couldn't believe that a church is named the same thing as a place that made alcohol, like as a Baptist, that made no sense to me, and so I was like, it must be Vineyard. That's weird. I don't get it, but so anyway, I come to the Vineyard, and I'm experiencing my first service here. And, you know, the worship's good, the message is fine, you know, I wasn't super impressed, but whatever. And <laughs> I, it was not what I was looking for. I was looking for something, and it was a different, different channel, so to speak. But what happens is, I'm, I'm thinking it's a fine church, you know, it's good. And then what happens is at the end, the pastor stands up and says, we believe that God is real and he wants to intersect people's lives. And we prayed beforehand and here's some what are called words of knowledge, leadings from the Lord of things that we believe he wants to pray for. You guys have seen it if you've been here for our services. And he starts listing off some things that are called words of knowledge. Now, I had never seen this before. And I was like, you know, I, I went to a Christian college I took like courses on Christian history and theology. Like I, I was not ignorant about the ways of the church, but I knew nothing about the Holy Spirit. And so I'm like immediately like, I don't know who this guy is and what he thinks he's doing, but this is not real. And I cross my arms and I take a judgmental posture, honestly. Now I know some of you guys may even like struggle to imagine that. Like, buddy, like, like not being for all of the Holy Spirit stuff? Yep, true story, absolutely true story. And what I did was I sat in the back row, back there, with my arms crossed for four years. <laughs> I'm not talking 15 minutes and I got over it. I was closed. In fact, I was better than closed because I was a black belt scientist, so I knew all the reasons people thought things were happening that weren't happening. Right? This was me. This was where I was at. Now, what happens is this. I wind up taking a short-term missions trip with our China partnership. Now, brief little aside here. If you've never taken a short-term missions trip, do it. I 100% guarantee it will change your life for the better. It will be absolutely worth the time. It will be absolutely worth the cost. Just do it. There's no reason not to. So <clears throat> I wind up taking a short-term missions trip. I sign up, I pay the deposits like $1,000 because you have to buy a plane ticket to China, those aren't cheap. And I sign up like months beforehand. 
And as we're coming up towards the trip, I reach out to Yu Yu, the, the team leader, who's our China, part, uh, China Taiwan partnership leader. And I said, hey, I'm really excited about this trip. How can I be best preparing to, to do this? And she says, oh, this is, I'm really, really pumped about this trip because what we're going to do is we're going to go and we're going to train some house church leaders how to pray for the sick. And I'm like, oh, can't we go build a hut, you know, <laughs> or paint something, you know, hand out water bottles, do like other missions-y stuff. Um, but, you know, I had $1,000 in the trip, so I'm not going to back out now. And so I'm like, okay, fine. And we kind of make this plan where when it comes to, like, I'll do a little bit of the teaching and the training, but when it comes to the prayer stuff, the rest of the team will cover it because I don't believe in it. I don't do it, and I don't believe in it. Okay, that's good enough for me. So day comes, I do my little teaching on kingdom theology, and it comes to the, to the prayer time, the first prayer time. And we're doing the thing where we're all sitting there and we're trying to listen to the Lord for words and knowledge. And I'm kind of sitting there just like, all right, you know, I'm twiddling my thumbs, like this is on them. I don't got to worry about it. And all of a sudden, my left forearm starts feeling really weird. And I'm like, this is a weird feeling. I was absolutely not feeling this like two minutes ago. This is totally strange. And I thought, well, you know, I'm in China. I mean, who knows? Maybe weird stuff happens in China. So I'll, I'll try, you know? So I go ahead and, and I... I share, I said, hey, does anybody have something going on with their left forearm? Well, this one gal responds. She says, yes, I sprained my wrist six months ago and it's never healed right and the doctors don't know what's going on. Now, remember, I am not a pastor. I am a physics PhD student. So I'm processing all this through science. And I'll tell you this right now. When it comes to words of knowledge, I don't need a word of knowledge to tell you that in this room right now there are people with back pain. Like one in five people has back pain. There are hundreds of people in this room with back pain right now. Like I don't need the Lord to tell me that, you know? But when I'm in a room of 12 people and I've got left forearm, that's pretty specific and pretty unlikely. Like there's probably like one person in this room maybe that has something wrong with their left forearm right now. It's really uncommon. And so I say left forearm and she goes, yeah, that's me. And I'm like, huh. And I started like trying to kind of in my head do the odds, you know, and this kind of thing. And meanwhile, the team leader says, great, okay, here's what's going to happen. Putty's going to model the prayer for all of us. And I go, oh, I forgot at the vineyard, if you get one of those words of knowledge things, you take point on the prayer. Dang it. No, what are you doing to me, God? And so next thing I know, I'm in the middle of the circle and I'm supposed to do the prayer and I don't do this stuff or believe in this stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to fake it. I mean, it's all going through translation anyway. They're not going to know. You know, I've never seen this thing work in the first place, even if the people do believe in it, so whatever. And I'd seen it a hundred times. Here's what you do when you're praying for someone. You ask them two or three questions about what's wrong, and then you put your hand on their shoulder and you say, come Holy Spirit. It doesn't do anything, but that's what you do. And so that's what I do. I ask a few questions, what's going on, da-da-da-da. And I say, all right, here's what you do. You put your hand on their shoulder and you say, come Holy Spirit. And the craziest thing happens. He came. Like, he really came. So I've got my hand on this gal's shoulder. A presence comes through the ceiling of the hotel room and drops on her like a load of bricks. She does not fall forward or backward. She just crumples and buckles, just boom, straight down to the floor in a split second. Bam. While that's happening, the dozen of circle of people that are kind of standing around watching, about half of them go, and I just hear thump, 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 thump. <laughs> and in 10 seconds, we move from classroom to war zone. 
There's bodies all over the place. People are rolling around making noises. I'm like, what on, I don't do any of this. <laughs> True story, there were witnesses, okay? Now, I wish I had time to keep telling all the details. And if you want to hear the long version of this, the drawn-out version, take School Kingdom Ministry. I always share the first night the story in, in a lot more depth. But suffice it to say, she gets healed. And I come back from that experience with two things. Number one, I am very confused about the packaging. I'm like, I don't know what all that was. That was weird. That was strange. I don't know what I think about that. But number two, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God did something powerful and significant in that gal's life. And I want to see God do real stuff. So I said, you know what? I'm going to kind of keep learning about this. I'm going to keep pressing into this. And what happened was for me, I didn't know it at the time, but the kingdom had just apprehended me. I didn't get it. It ran into me, not the other way around. I didn't go looking. It confronted my life. And what wound up happening is that became a branch point for my life. So that two years later, after I had defended, I had a choice to make. I thought, well, do I keep going in physics or not? What do I do? Now, I was a good physicist. I could have kept going with physics. I was one of the top in my class. University of Illinois is a top 10 in the country, top 20 in the world in physics university. I was good at physics. But I realized that I was faced with a choice because I didn't, I stumbled into this kingdom stuff. And if I left, I wouldn't even know where to begin to look for it again. And so I said, you know what, if I keep going in physics, what's gonna happen is 10 years down the road, I'm gonna look back and I'm gonna say, I'm the guy who when God was moving, I left to go get a good job. I'm gonna regret that for the rest of my life. And so I said, I went to Happy and I said, Hap, here's the deal. I'm, uh, I'm not leaving. I have no idea what I'm going to do here in town, but I'm staying because God's doing stuff here. And he said, Putty, that's ridiculous. Go get a job. I said, no, I, like, I made my choice. Go get a job. No, I'm, we went back and forth. And God bless Hap. His, his instructions were 99% right. Mine were just, it was just a weird time. So, so I stay. And when Hap realizes he's not convincing me to leave, he says, well, why don't you come on halftime and kind of help us with some of our healing ministry stuff? Now, I don't often say a lot of the specifics about the sacrifice that I made to come here. But if you'll allow me, I have a PhD in theoretical quantum physics. It is certainly top five in the most difficult technical degrees in the world. Easily top five, maybe less than that. When I came on staff here half time, my salary in this church was less than one-sixth of the average salary with the degree that I had. One-sixth. I'd just given up six years of my life doing one of the most difficult degrees on the planet, and I got no benefit from it to come here. Along the way, there's been some amazing things that have happened, but I've also been called a heretic, false teacher, deluded by people who won't take the time to listen to me and look at the fruit on the tree. But people will point a finger because they don't like what I'm saying. I came on staff in 2010. It was almost a decade ago, coming up on that. Can I tell you something? I have never for one second regretted that choice. 
one second. Why? Not because I'm some great Christian. Because the kingdom had apprehended me. And the kingdom, when the kingdom apprehends you, choices like that are natural. Don't look at me and go, oh, he gave up so much. What are you talking about? I got more than I gave up. I got more than I gave up. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew 13. He says, guys, this is how it works. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys the field. It's not a sacrifice. It's not like, oh, I'm giving up so much for the kingdom. It's like, what a great deal. I get to trade all that I have for that. Here's the thing. That's the metric that we should use to assess whether the kingdom has apprehended us or not. If you're not living a lifestyle that makes no sense from the outside because you're, getting, you're giving up things to get more of the kingdom, then I'm gonna suggest to you, you're probably like I was. You love Jesus, you're following Jesus, you're going to heaven, but the kingdom has not apprehended you. You have not been gripped by something bigger than you because when that happens, you stop being the boss of your own life. You are no longer king, he is king. And your life becomes this glorious, out of my control and in his control adventure. It is wonderfully fulfilling and absolutely amazing. But the one thing that's non-negotiable is who's in charge. It's his kingdom, not your kingdom. So here's the challenge for today. Has the kingdom gotten you? Maybe I should say, how much has the kingdom gotten you? We don't get the kingdom. The kingdom gets us. And if the kingdom hasn't gotten us, well then, well, what do we do? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to admit to ourselves that fact, which is an uncomfortable thing. There's more that I don't have. But you see, here's the thing. I've found a lot of people get saved enough to be miserable. I'm, I'm saved, so I can't do the world stuff because I feel guilty about it. But I haven't made enough sacrifice to get to do the God fun stuff yet. So I'm not having fun on either side. This is miserable. And all I'm saying is I'm prompting you and I'm saying, look, here's the deal. There's a lot more fun over there. It is better than you can imagine. It is glorious and it is amazing. But it does require everything. It requires everything of you. You give everything up, but you'll get more than you gave up in return. I promise you. That's how the kingdom works. Jesus, his core message, we mentioned this, was the message of the kingdom of God. In Mark, here's how it's recorded. Now, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, remember, Jesus is preaching to a bunch of Jews. He's preaching to people that are already following God. He's not talking to a bunch of unbelievers here. He's saying, guys, here's the deal. There's more available than you knew. 
Jesus invites us, the kingdom invites us to step out of the miserable and into the more. So Jesus comes and he says, guys, here's the deal. The kingdom of God is at hand. What's that mean? Well, it means it's probably at most, say, three feet away from you. It's close. It's so close that it can be reached out, it can be grabbed, it can be touched. In other words, it's proximal, it's personal. It's not far away and distant. It's not for special pastor types and not for me. It's not, well, maybe it's real, maybe it's not. Can I tell you something? The kingdom is more real than your life. The kingdom is looking at you saying, when are they going to wake up and realize what the real thing going on is? And we're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe this is philosophy. Maybe this is whatever. (laughs) I don't have time to waste with that. I'll just put it that way. The kingdom is at hand. Part of following Jesus is being apprehended by the same kingdom that apprehended him. If we're not apprehended by the kingdom of God, then that's a slice in our life where we're not following the model that Jesus gave us. We do not get to be in control. We get to be under his, and it's beautiful. So what do we do? Well, we do what Jesus tells us to do. We realize this, the way I see the kingdom is not the way Jesus sees the kingdom. I think it's ethereal and mystical and maybe it's real, maybe it's not. Jesus says it is concrete. I think it's far away. He says it's at hand. I think it's maybe fictional. He says it's not optional. And wherever Jesus and I disagree on the kingdom, you know what the response is? Repent and believe. Jesus, I'm sorry I don't see this thing the way you see it. You weren't making a mistake. You weren't confused. And if I don't see it the way you see it, then Lord, I'm sorry. I give you that that faulty belief system. Lord, I choose, I believe. Would your kingdom come and influence me? Would your kingdom come and impact me? You can't make it happen, but you can posture yourself in such a way where the kingdom's gonna start coming after you. What does that look like? Repent and believe. We're gonna spend a lot of time over the next five weeks, well, four weeks after this, exploring this in further depth. We're gonna look at the message. What is the message of the kingdom? Actually, I didn't even tell you today. (laughs) I'm just prodding you to surrender to it nonetheless. We're going to talk about the method. How does the kingdom come? We're going to talk about the mission field. Where is the kingdom coming to? We're going to talk about all that and a lot more. But if we don't start with getting the right posture of surrendering ourselves to this thing that's bigger than us and realizing Jesus came to show us a reality that doesn't fit on this planet, but we still get to be connected to. His kingdom's not of this world, but you can belong to it nonetheless. If we don't start from the posture of surrender, then what happens is all of it gets to be something that gets neatly incorporated into your life, and we've missed the entire point. It's not what Jesus has come to tell us. The kingdom gets you. A couple of years ago, I was at a uh, conference. I was doing a conference at a church, and 
I was about to get up and, and speak. We were worshiping. And in the middle of the worship, I, I had this, this picture, um, this kind of inner vision type thing. And some people get those kinds of things all the time. I don't, actually. Usually when I hear God, it's not like a visual thing. But every once in a while, that happens. And so I pay attention when it does. Usually God's trying to kind of catch me. And so I see this picture. And in the picture, I'm up in front, and I'm, I'm preaching. And while I'm preaching, I see these kind of red lightning bolts flying out and hitting people in the heart. Sort of all over the audience. And... And, and that goes on for a while, while I'm preaching and all of that, and it happens, and, and then eventually that kind of like dies down, and there's just kind of like a lull. We're all kind of like, I don't know, standing around waiting or something. And then what happens is these blue lightning bolts start going shooting side to side, back and forth through the, the, the group. And I see that going on for a while, and it's, they're hitting people, and things are happening, and then I kind of like come out of the experience. And I'm like, whoa, Lord, like, what was that? <laughs> What, you know, because I'm about to go preach, so, you know, I'm very curious. What, what is that? And I felt like God said this, just real quick and real clear. He said, Putty, the red lightning bolts are revelation. It's when, it's when truth is spoken with power on it. And so that truth hits people in their hearts, and it impacts them. It changes them. They leave not the way they came in. He said, but the revelation isn't actually meant to be the end point. Because what the revelation does is it opens people up. It postures people to receive from me. And when people are opened up, when they're postured, that's when the power of the kingdom can come. And the power of the kingdom starts impacting people's lives and bodies are getting healed and demonized people are getting set free and relationships are being restored and lost are coming to know Jesus and all that beautiful kingdom stuff is happening. We've been in a season in our church for the last, say, seven, eight years that's been a season of revelation. The Lord has opened our eyes to things in his book that we didn't know we didn't know. And our hearts have come alive in ways that have been glorious and thrilling and exciting. But I'm here to tell you, I believe that God's bringing us into a season where all of that revelation wasn't actually meant to be the end. It was meant to be the introduction. It's meant to open our hearts. It's meant to posture us to a place where we realize how real and how good and how big God is and where we make room in our lives so that he can send his kingdom power. I'm here to tell you guys, there is a season coming. Lord, I pray it starts today. I don't know when it starts, but there's a season coming when the power of the kingdom is gonna begin to flow through this house in a bigger way. And the people who sign up for it will get to have fun in that season. It is not a guarantee. It is not a guarantee. But if you will posture yourself, Lord, I want in. I want to do that kingdom stuff. Lord, yes, I'm willing. Then we're going to see some amazing things happen. It's going to be good. Jesus, you are awesome. It is our thrill to worship you. <laughs> Lord, let your kingdom impact our lives. We say we want to move from the miserable to the more. We say, God, we choose right now to believe that your kingdom is bigger than us, is more real than us, and it is what redefines our lives. God, we just say yes. We say 
Everything in our life is yours. Let your kingdom come and apprehend us, God, in your name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.